The Holy Gospel according to St. John from the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning is from John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and can be found on page 1650 of your Pew Bible. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the whole world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Red touch yellow kills a fellow. Red touch black, venom lack. Yellow touches red. Soon, you'll be dead. Red touches black, that's a friend of Jack. Any of you ever heard that before? That is a little sing-song for a coral snake. That's okay. I've heard it many times, and I can't remember. Is it yellow and black? Is it? So I stay away from those. You know, I, I'm not a fan of snakes. I never have been, and I never will be. And most people that I've come across, they don't like snakes either. Some people are deathly afraid of snakes. Even people who don't mind snakes are startled when they see a stick that is lying in their path and it suddenly moves. In fact, I call them snakes. I call them nope ropes. That is a nope rope, and I almost, almost never would seek to destroy one. 
And I'll leave that right there. The truth is that most snakes are beneficial predators because they help control the rodent population. And I believe, I have witnessed that snakes, most of them, are more afraid of you and me than anything else. They seek to avoid them. They're more afraid of you than, than, than uh, you are of them. So there is one exception, and I'm going to go off on a little, hey, there's a squirrel trail here. There is a snake. I have seen them. And they're out in the Mojave Desert, and they call them Mojave Greens. And these little buggers are ornery. And they'll come and see what you're doing. And they'll come at nighttime when it's cold and you got a campfire and they'll come around by your... I don't like snakes. Okay. Back on track. I promise. The fact that the devil used a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve doesn't really help the snakes with their reputation. It also doesn't help that the Bible refers to the devil as the ancient serpent. That's in Revelation 12.9 and Revelation 22. And today's Old Testament reading also contributes to our, or my, bad attitude towards snakes. Today's reading is from Numbers. And as you know, Numbers is the account of the children of Israel after they left Mount Sinai. Exodus does tell us that before the children of Israel arrived at Sinai, they were a disorganized mob of slaves. While they were at Sinai, God organized them. He put the moral law into words. That's what we know as the Ten Commandments, right? Some people think it's Ten Suggestions, but no, it's the Ten Commandments. And in the last half of Exodus, in all of Leviticus, and the first half of Numbers, God gave Israel the civil law, the civil law for governing themselves as a nation. And he also gave them the ceremonial law, the law that pertains to offerings and to feasts. And that is a shadow of the foretaste of the, of the feast to come. It pointed to the coming Messiah. You've heard me say this, right? Every jot and tittle of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And that is what is happening there. When the children of Israel left Sinai, they were organized and, well, they were somewhat disciplined. A nation that was headed for the promised land. And God disciplined the people differently before and after Sinai. Before Sinai, he would meet the grumbling of their people. He he fed them. He fed them with manna. He sent quail into their camp for meat. He gave them water. Why? Because he recognized their ignorance. And he disciplined them 
very gently. This all changed. This all changed after they left Sinai. When Israel left Sinai, God expected his people to know better and to not grumble, to be better. They had seen the plagues in Egypt. They had seen the water of the Red Sea part for them and then drown the Egyptian army. God had given them a tabernacle and an ark of the covenant. Those were tangible reminders that God was ever present with them. So God was more stern with them than he was before after these facts. Okay, so here we come. We arrive at the Old Testament reading for today. And it is not a surprise to read that the children of Israel are complaining. They are saying things like, why, emphasis mine, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They said, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Another rabbit trail. Has anyone here experienced a child standing in front of an open refrigerator? For several minutes. And then exclaim, there's nothing to eat. I didn't think so. Not at my house either. Pinocchio knows. Well, let's notice the contradiction in the complaint of God's people. They say that there is no food. Did you hear that part? There's no food. And then they go back to say they loathe the food. How can you loathe the food that you don't have? That's contradiction. Let me see. Is the plank that's sticking out of my eye distracting anyone? Uh You know, yeah. Of course, the food they loathe is a miracle food. The food of manna that God gives them every single morning faithfully. And so they have judged God's food. They've judged God's food and have labeled it and found it to be worthless. This is serious. This is really serious, especially when we hear Jesus himself compare himself to the manna as the bread of life from heaven. He's loathed. And so, One might say that God disciplined his people by bringing their complaints to life. Deadly serpents invaded the camp, and their bite began killing many in the camp. And sadly, the people wouldn't listen to God when he merely spoke to them. No, he had to allow death. He had to allow death to enter their camp in order to get their attention. The people finally confessed their sin. 
and they asked God to take away the serpents. And God did hear their prayer. But he gave them an answer that they did not expect. Instead of removing the serpents, he gave them salvation from the serpents. God ordered Moses to duplicate one of the serpents in bronze and place it on a pole. And Moses did exactly as God commanded. And everyone who looked at the serpent on the pole survived the snake bite. Now, just so you don't get a false picture of this situation, we need to be reminded that the Israel uh, the Israelites had a population of about 600,000 men of military age. And if you multiply that by wives and by children, it doesn't take long to estimate a population of two and a half million people. And that's not to mention livestock and luggage. This meant that the Israeli camp covered many square miles. Two and a half million people take up some space. And so one did not just simply poke his head out of the tent flap and see the bronze serpent on a wood pole. It just didn't happen that way. It was a long walk for some to the bronze serpent on that pole. The healing powers of the bronze serpent did not depend. They did not depend on the quality of the bronze that Moses used. It did not depend on the quality of the wood that was used in the pole. Instead, the healing power, listen, the healing power of the bronze serpent depended entirely on the promise of God. And in a way, the bronze serpent is like all the means that the Holy Spirit uses to bring us. He brings us salvation. So when we consider, or whether we consider, hearing the word, confession and absolution, holy baptism, or the Lord's Supper, all these good things where God uses to meet us, to give us salvation, forgiveness of sins, they all depend on the promise of God for their effectiveness. And as Martin Luther says in his explanation of baptism, he says, without God's word, the water is plain water and there is no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water that is rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. That is in the small catechism, Article 4, paragraph 7 through 10, in case anyone's keeping notes. It was the promise. It was the promise of God working through the bronze serpent that healed 
the snake bite. Now Jesus used this Old Testament event to point to himself. You heard me read it this morning. In today's gospel, he compared himself to the bronze serpent in the wilderness. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And with these words, Jesus gives the promise of eternal life to all who believe, to all who believe in him as he is lifted up. The promise of God, it healed the Israelite when he looked up upon the bronze serpent. And in a similar way, the promise of God in Jesus Christ It heals, and it gives eternal life to the sinner. Now, Jesus expanded on the meaning of his comparison when he gave us one of the most, famous is probably not the right word, but well-known verses in the Bible. That's the, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we know that the word whoever means that his promise is for all people. And as the bronze serpent hung on a pole, in order to save Israelites from poisonous serpents. So Jesus hung on a cross in order to save the entire world from sin. Did you hear what I just did there? Jesus hanging on the cross saves us from sin. And if God allowed our sins to turn into snakes... (laughs) Thank you, Father, for not doing that. But if he'd let them turn into snakes, our infestation would dwarf in comparison. Well, rather, it would dwarf what they, what they had in uh, the desert. Our sin. Our sin is more subtle than that, though. You see, once in a while, we may recognize our sins. But most of the time, they are like the serpent in Eden. Our sins are crafty. They are crawling in our lives. They are crawling in ways that we don't recognize. Some of the sins, surely we do know. But most of our sins are known only to God. Jesus knows all of our sins, whether we know them or not. And he has taken all of these sins onto himself. He has taken them to the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus battled for us. And it was, it was a battle to the death. Well, who won? You know that. We know that a few days later that Jesus came back to life, that he rose up from the grave. 
and that he is the victor over the battle on the cross. He defeated sin, death, and the power of the devil with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. That ancient serpent who was called the devil or Satan has a sure and certain future. A sure and certain future in hell. And he's not going to be the Lord of hell. As some may go, hey, you know, we'll hang out. It is not going to be like that. He is not the Lord of hell. He is a prisoner of hell in the end times. Now, on the other hand, those who belong to the victor, who is Jesus Christ, have an eternal future of celebration with Jesus, a feast. Those who have the Holy Spirit's gift of faith in Jesus will live forever with the victor. They will forever enjoy the eternal reward of Christ's victory over the serpent of sin. God does not turn our sins into snakes. Instead, he forgives them for the sake of his son, his son who suffered innocently and who suffered and died. He forgives for the sake of Jesus. He makes us his own that we may live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, everlasting innocence, and everlasting blessedness. We shall, like Jesus, rise from the dead, just as he rose from the dead. We shall reign forever with Jesus, because we have a promise. And that promise is this, for God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Truly, in the name of Jesus, amen.